Welcome to the Beach Catholic Podcast with Father Brian Barr. In this episode, you'll have the opportunity to listen to the Gospel and Father Brian Barr's homily from this past Sunday. Don't forget to check out our other episodes where Father Brian joins me for discussion and additionally answers any listener questions. But until then, here's the homily for May 21st, 2017, the sixth Sunday of Easter. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you always, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot accept, because it neither sees nor knows him. But you know him because he remains with you, and he will be with you, be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live and you will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and observes them is the one who loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and reveal myself to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So about, uh, I guess it was about a year ago, I went into the city to see uh, the Broadway show uh, Jersey Boys. Um, how many how many of you guys have seen Jersey Boys? Actually, a pretty good number. It's a great show, isn't it? Um, it's about, uh, it's kind of the story of Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons and kind of how they came together. And I mean, the music is the best part of it. It's just, if you love their music, you're going you're gonna to love this show. Um, anyway, I went and uh, with a buddy of mine, and before the show began, I went to go get something to drink. And I'm kind of waiting online at the concession stand. And uh, there are these three women. The line is long, it's kind of slow, and there's these three women behind me. And uh, I'm kind of listening to them talk, and it's obvious that they're huge fans of this show. I could just tell the way they were talking. They had seen it multiple times. Um, they just loved it. They were like just experts on this particular show. So I'm just kind of listening and getting more excited actually about seeing it for the first time, just listening to these these three fans. And then uh, a couple of seconds later, a fourth person shows up, and it was a, a friend of it was like a foursome that went to see this. I didn't realize it. Uh, so she comes walking up to the other three. Um, she's not so happy though, and or excited. She's uh, kind of upset. Because she, um, when she tells them why, she she just found out that the uh, the lead singer, the guy who plays Frankie Valli, uh, was not going to be performing that night. And you know, when she mentions this, you would have thought the reaction. You would have thought like she's there was going to be no show that night. I mean, they were very upset. You know, one of them started cursing, the other one was just kind of yelling, the other one was like almost sounded like she was going to start crying. Like, they were really, really disappointed. And I'm like, wow. Um, and they mentioned the understudy. I guess the understudy is just like the person who's waits in the wings to fill in for the lead when the lead can't be there. So they referenced the understudy, and they knew who he was, and they were critiquing him. And I was like, really kind of just listening to all this. And now I'm like, oh, man, I'm kind of disappointed, thinking the show's going to be... Not what I thought, you know, not as good as I was expecting. Anyway, 
I, I, I go to the show, and it was awesome. It was an amazing, it was great. It was a great night. I never would have known about the lead and the understudy. I had no idea. If you were an expert on the show, I guess you'd know, but bottom line was, the understudy was great. It was a great, it was a great night. Um, but I was thinking about these four women and this experience or what they were communicating in this moment when, of disappointment. Um, and I was thinking, like, do you ever feel like them? Not because of a show, but because something in your life has happened and somebody's no longer there. Somebody who's important. They're a part of your life. They're a part of some circumstance of your life. They're like the lead, maybe, or at least really important. And they're not going to be there. Um, and somebody's going to take their place. And you're just feeling like, ah, this is just, this is going to be lame. Like, this is just not going to be the same. This person's going to try their best, but it's just not going to be the way it was. I mean, it, it can even be like something at work. Say you had a great situation at work, and then somebody, somebody gets promoted. Somebody gets another job. They, whatever. Somebody moves. And it's just like, maybe it's a group of friends. You see, it's like these four, these four friends, and then one of them is no longer part of the group. And it's just... Just like not, you're thinking it's just not going to be, it's not going to measure up. Um, you know what I always find? First of all, that happens. It just happens in life, right? But eventually, like even if it's somebody like incredibly important who's no longer there, like they typically die. Eventually somebody else shows up. It's not the same person. So I'm never going to replace this person. You're never going to fully stop missing that person. But this other, this like understudy steps up. Somehow they come into your life. And they do fill gaps. It's never quite the same. But maybe in other ways, you know, your, your perspective is broadened. Something that you thought would never work, would never be of value, you realize, you know what, it's, this is okay. I think that happens. But you know what also happens, I think, is this feeling of, that's never going to be any good. If the lead is gone, it's just, it's done. Like, I suspect the apostles were feeling that. Jesus, it's the Last Supper, was still in this long Last Supper discourse, they call it. Chapters long about Jesus at the Last Supper, he's talking about it. And he's just getting them ready. He knows this is it. He's getting them ready for when he's not going to be there. And he says, don't worry. I'm going to send you this advocate. I'm going to talk to the Father and ask him to send you this advocate to kind of take my place. You know, I'll bet they were hearing that and they were just like these four ladies. They were like, well, we don't want the advocate. First of all, we don't even know what an advocate means. What do you do? Who are you sending? Another person? Like, what, what does advocate even mean? And even if you explain it, we don't want it. Like, Jesus, we want you. You're, all we, you're the one we, we left our jobs and changed our lives for. And you're leaving, it's never going to be the same. It's never going to be any good. And Jesus goes, wrong. Yeah, I'm leaving. But I'm not leaving you. And I need you to be open to this advocate thing. You know, when you think about 
like the Broadway play, the understudy idea. I, mean, I guess in a way, like objectively, an understudy isn't as good as the lead. <laughs> or they'd be the lead. Like they're probably if they're singing on Broadway, they're probably good. I mean, this guy was great. But I don't know, I guess he I guess he wasn't as good as the lead. There are differences. Maybe he doesn't sing or dance or act quite as well. So he's not as good. He's on the bench. He's second string. I don't think this advocate that Jesus speaks about, which is the Holy Spirit, that's not somebody riding the bench who gets called up. That's not a second stringer. God would never send us a second stringer. He sends us somebody else that's the equivalent of Jesus. And the challenge for us is to be able to recognize it and then embrace it. We're not as lucky as the twelve were. They had him in the flesh. They could go for a walk with him. They had the opportunity to live with him. They witnessed all of what he was about. You know, we don't have that grace. But he gives us this advocate. And he says to us, if you're aware of that, if you're aware of God's spirit, that will almost take, that will fill the gaps left by my absence. I'm not going to orphan you. I would never leave you. So again, one more time, the challenge I think is, okay, that if he, this advocate thing, this Holy Spirit, if, it's, if, if, he, if he offers it to us, do I see it? Can I name it? Do you have evidence of it in your life? I mean, I'm asking you to think about that. Like, if I asked ask every one of you to stand up and say, yeah, okay, give, me, give me an example of when I encountered the presence of this advocate that he's describing in this gospel. Yeah, I, I, tell me about a time in your life when you felt the Holy Spirit at work in your lives and describe it. What would you say? What do you think it would be? You know, uh, last month was uh, on April 15th of last month. That's tax day, right? April 15th. Well, it's another day, too. It has another meaning. That was the day when Jackie Robinson broke into the majors 70 years ago. It was 70 years ago this past April 15th. And uh, I love him. I, I think Jackie Robinson is... He's such a hero. He's such an American hero on, on lots of levels. Absolutely beyond, including, but beyond what he did on the field. Um, anyway, I was watching this. It was probably on the 15th or maybe the day before or after. There was this documentary on, about him. and Most of it was about his life, which I kind of knew. So that was like nothing really uh, groundbreaking personally. But then the last, I think, 20 minutes of this video was really interesting. They interviewed people who just talked about Robinson's impact on their lives. How his life influenced theirs. His life led these people to do things that they don't think they would have done had it not been for him. So, people that you kind of almost expect, there were civil rights leaders that were interviewed and they talked about how he inspired them. There were athletes, black athletes back in the 60s, who were kids who were playing ball in the 60s, who said, you know what? 
he, his presence and his example pushed me to not accept limitations that the, that the society had previously sort of created. But then there were other people who weren't even remotely known or famous. And they were the ones that sort of struck me the most. One was this guy from Poland. He was, uh, he lived, he was now an elderly man. He was, uh, spoke, you know, he was, he was subtitles underneath. He's speaking in Polish. And he talked about living under communist rule in Poland in the 70s and in the 80s. And he talked about, he was a laborer. He worked, he was part of that uh, solidarity movement, the labor movement that became the resistance. And he said he had a cousin here in the States who would tell him about, they would write, and he would tell, he told him about Jackie Robinson and his story and his resistance, his refusal to surrender. And he said, Jackie Robinson inspired this guy to not give up when his days were dark, when a, the communist reality was just particularly oppressive. And then was, the other one was this kid, now probably a college-age kid, from Alabama, who led this resistance movement, or this change movement, when he was in high school. His high school, believe it or not, still had segregated proms. I didn't realize this, but, you know, before segregation, no, you know, when, when, when there was segregation, you had, sep you had, well, you had separate schools. So you had separate proms. When segregation ended, in, I guess, uh, the 60s, the schools in the South were faced with this dilemma. Now we got black kids and white kids studying together. We can't possibly have them go into a party together. So they desegregated the schools and they started segregating the proms. And this kid, about 10 years ago, was like, this is crazy. He talked, he was an athlete. He played on a couple of teams with many of his friends were black. He was like, this is insane. What? Well, I can't go to the senior prom with my friends because of the color of our skin. So he started a petition and he started speaking to the authorities and ultimately changed it. But, but there was a cost. He said he lost friends. There were, there were actual threats against him and his family early on. Well, eventually they, they won. They persevered. And he's being interviewed, and he's being asked, like, well, what, when, you, when, you were, when it was getting very, very bad, like, what did you consider giving up? And he said, yes. But then he talked about Jackie Robinson. When he was a sophomore in high school, he read his biography. And he started to think about it. When he considered, like, giving it up and packing this thing in, he was like, no, this guy didn't. I won't. Look at, it's like, you got this kid who wasn't, wasn't even born their lives never even intersected. Jackie Robinson was dead before this kid was born. And you get this guy in Poland. Who didn't even speak the language. Who were inspired by his life. I think that's what this advocate thing is. I'm not saying it was Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson wasn't the Holy Spirit. But I think the Holy Spirit worked through Jackie Robinson's life. He allowed it to. Jesus said, I'm not just going to send this advocate to certain select people. It's open to everybody. And the challenge for us, one more time, is, well, number one, to recognize it. And then number two is to say, all right, I, I need to embrace this. And I need to live it out. And when we do that, 
we become the understudy. We become Jesus-like. We're never Him, but we get closer to being like Him. It's the understudy in the play. You know, my one of my favorite movies, this is absolutely my top ten, maybe even top five, and I, I've talked about this movie before. I, I love it. It's called Dead Poets Society. I'm sure some of you have seen it. And uh, those of you who haven't, especially the kids, if you haven't seen it, get it. However you get your movies, check this one out. Robin Williams is in it. And uh, he plays this teacher in this... Uh, very conservative prep school, all-boys prep school in the late 1950s up in New England. And these kids are all sons of rich people, and they're all going to go to law school or, you know, medical school. They're going to go to Ivy League colleges first, and then, you know, like, their whole lives are laid out already. Robin Williams is this teacher who's hired, and he's very different. He is not like any of the other faculty in this school. Teaches English, loves poetry, he's very unorthodox, his style. And in the beginning, the kids are like, they could care less about poetry. They're like 16-year-old boys. It's the last thing they care about. But he begins to win these kids over. He begins to inspire them. And they start seeing things differently. And they begin to follow him. And the school, the administration, the authority base becomes threatened. And they try to stop him. It's like... I think I've heard this story before. Is this kind of like the Jesus story? This guy comes in, has new ideas. People start to follow him. He, he inspires these people. The authorities become threatened. They try to stop him. It's like, we've heard this before. This great scene, a couple of great scenes. One is the kids are in class one day, and now they're really starting to buy his act. And he tells them all to step up, step up on their desk, like to get on top of their desks. So they're like, what? And they do it. And, he, and, and the point is this. He says, I want you to look at, I want you to see things from a different perspective. You see everything from on your feet. And it's always the same. But life isn't always the same. So if you can kind of see things from another angle, you become a better person. Like, think outside of the box. So I want you, so they're all standing up there and they, they kind of listen to him talk from this other new perspective. Anyway, one of the, the principal, one of the administrators walks by, sees these kids standing on the desk, and is like not, not happy with any of this. So you get these moments. This continues. There's a scene where they're, they're reading in the textbook and there's this uh, article about poetry. And it's the most non-poetic article you could ever imagine. It'd make you want to hate poetry. So he has them all open up the article in their textbooks. He starts, the kid starts to read it and he goes, rip it out. And the kids are like, what? He's like, rip the article out. So they're all tearing the pages, you know, the, the ten pages of this article out of their book. He's like, don't ever read that. Read poetry from your gut, from your heart, and then you'll love it. And again, faculty finds out about this nut who's having them rip pages out of a textbook. Anyway, they finally get him. And they fire him. And it's unjust. Like, again, kind of like a story we all know. And the kids are sort of forced to, to lie about him. And they're totally feeling terrible. And they feel like they've betrayed him. And the final scene is awesome. I love it. He's been fired. And he's leaving. And he goes into the classroom to clear out his closet. And class is in session. And there's a sub 
like an understudy who is awful. It's the principal. It's the opposite of Robin Williams. And these kids are sitting in there, and then now they're like, they can't believe he's there. They're even more ashamed. And he walks in, and, and as he's leaving to, to walk out, the kid who was maybe most inspired by him and most challenged by Robin Williams, in the midst of his walking out, the kid stands up and steps on top of his desk. And he says, oh, captain, my captain, which is what they used to say to him. It's from a, a great poem. So whenever they would talk to him, they'd always say, oh, captain, my captain. So this print, the teacher's like, what? Like, what are you doing? And then the other kids are like looking at this, and they're totally, like they so much want to do this, but they're afraid of, of what, what will come. And one by one, they start, they get up on top of the desks. And it's this like awesome tribute to this teacher. Yeah, he got fired. He left, but he didn't lose. It's the Jesus story. You look at Jesus on Good Friday, it looks like he lost. Let a little bit of the dust settle, and you realize he didn't lose anything. First of all, he rose from the dead. But this advocate, this spirit of God is offered to us. And when we accept it, we become the understudy. And we continue his truth. Hey, he said... I'm never going to leave you orphans. I'll never abandon you. It's a great line in the, uh, the second reading from Peter. He goes, you better know how to explain where you find hope. Because skeptics and doubters are going to want, they want to know, why are you here? Why do you believe in Jesus? Be ready to answer that question. What's the source of the hope in your life? Peter asked them, and he's asking us tonight. I ask you tonight. Why are you here? What is it about here that gives you hope and that gives you meaning? Recognize his spirit, this advocate. Recognize it and then embrace it. And then find your desk and step up on it. And be the hope that everybody needs. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. Once again, look out for our next episode later this week where Father Brian joins me for some great discussion. Also, don't forget if you've got a question for Father Brian, you can send an email to beachcatholicpodcast at gmail.com or you can connect with us at facebook.com slash beachcatholicpodcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast by downloading the iTunes app for iPhones and the Stitcher app for all other devices. And as always, please share with your loved ones. We'll be back later this week, and until then, God bless.